We put that bumper video there because I can't follow what the ensemble. I just can't follow that. So I asked them if they needed a, uh, a fourth person, but they, they said, no, we're good, Nathan. So anyhow, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I know some of you are back from spring break, so welcome home. And some of you are actually here. You came to visit here for spring break. I talked to a couple of people, and actually that's the case with me too. I'm just here for spring break. I walked in and said, can I have a microphone? And they gave it to me. So anyhow, no, my name is Nathan, if it's your first time here. And um, we just, we're so glad you joined us this morning. I want to direct your attention to the screen. Do you remember, especially people who grew up in the 90s, 80s and 90s, do you remember these? All right, so some people call these magic eye puzzles. Um, there's actually a technical term for them, um, and it's called um, awful. No, I'm just kidding. It's called stereograms, okay? And the idea behind them is you just stare at them, and you stare at them, and you stare at them, and eventually something's supposed to pop out at you. Does anybody see anything right now? Okay, good, good. Because you know what? I hated these things. Hated them. One year, they, they, I think it was my junior year of high school, they decided to make our yearbook cover this. And I just remember sitting, at the, it, this caused so much social distress for me, okay? I was sitting at a table, and I was just sitting with a bunch of people, and they're going around the table, and suddenly somebody on, uh, around the table, they're like, I see it. I see it. Oh, my gosh. And then the person next to them was like, oh, I see it, too. And they're going around the table, and it gets to me, and I'm like, I don't see it. It's, I, I can't see it at all. I, I don't know what you're talking about. And this girl tried to be helpful. You know, the people who try to help you. And she's like, well, Nathan, maybe you're staring at the detail just a little too much. What you need to do, as if she's an expert, right? She's like, you need to look through the image. Just look through it. Like, pretend you're looking 10 feet past the image. And I was like, you know what? Don't tell me what to do and don't talk to me anymore. We're not friends, okay? I just, I, I, it was just made me so irritated and uncomfortable because I'm looking at this thing and I just go, I can't see it. And finally somebody said, Nathan, you might be bringing your picture in your mind of what's supposed to be there to it. And that's why you can't see it. And as much as I just wanted to get mad and yell at them, too, I realized they're probably right. I think one time I saw it, one time ever, and I realized I had been looking and imposing my way of seeing things on the picture. It was part of why I couldn't see it. Now, that being said, I actually made this one. You can go to a website and make it. I know what you're supposed to see in it, and I still can't see it, okay? So don't feel bad if you can't see it. At the end of the sermon, I'll tell you what it is, but that's just so you don't leave, okay? Um, but as I thought about this, I thought, you know what? That's a lot like how I approach, and many of us approach God. Because we look around at our lives, and, and we look at the situations in front of us, and it's easy to go, God, I just don't see you. I, I, I just can't see you in what's in front of me. And it's confusing, and I feel like it, we feel like everybody else sees it. But the truth is, we bring a lot of our own filters to the picture, and as you look at the book of John, we're going to be looking at the book of John as we head toward Easter, because throughout the book of John, John is constantly pointing at some things that helped show who Jesus really was. And part of what you see over and over and over in the book of John is the word king, the word king. But that's hard for me at times, because there are situations and places in my life that as I look at them, I just go, you're king? 
Jesus, if you're a king, then why is this situation happening? And if you're a king, why is that place just out of whack in my life? And, and I've talked to many in here, and I get to talk to many people who they feel the same way. And as we march toward Easter, what we're going to discover is that he is king. But he's a king who's maybe not who we thought. He certainly wasn't who they thought he was in that time when he walked the earth, and he's certainly not who we think he is as we look around and we bring our filters to who he is. And so what you're going to find out, though, is that he's not who we thought, but he's better than we thought. He's better than we thought. And so this morning, as we begin, I actually want to start at the, at the beginning of the book of John. We're in John chapter 1, and I want to direct you to one conversation. Jesus is calling some disciples to follow him, and I want to direct you to one, it's actually a very short conversation that Jesus uses to show one person who he really is and the kind of king that he actually is. It begins in verse, <clears throat> excuse me, 45 here. It says, Philip found Nathanael. Okay, just look at the name. We already know. Must be a great guy. A great guy. Probably seven feet tall, just uh, in an incredible, charming personality. Who knows? I just I daydream. But one interesting fact about Nathanael, some people think it's two separate people. Some people think that Nathanael actually had another name, Bartholomew. Okay, you can call me Nate. I, I don't love the, the name Nate. You can call me Nathaniel. I don't love the name Nathaniel. But Pastor Bartholomew is not going to fly in this place, all right? Right, Bartholomew Reynolds over there? All right, yes. So Nathaniel may have gone by the name Bartholomew, but Philip finds Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one. We found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus. Jesus. And if he had stopped there, Nathaniel would have been good. But that word found, we have found the one, prompts a question. Well, where'd you find him? Where's he from? And so Philip continues. We have found Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And at this point, I think Nathaniel probably thought, if he thinks anything the way this Nathan thinks, he probably thought, you had me till Nazareth. In fact, this was his reply. Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Can anything good come from there? And we got to talk about Nazareth for a moment, because what looks like a place in the Bible is actually a place with some very striking parallels to my life and to your life. And Nazareth is the place that many of us, you know Nazareth, because you have places in your life and I have places in my life that as we look at those places, we ask the same question that Nathaniel asks. Can anything good come from there? And what you need to know about Nazareth is a few things. First of all, Nazareth was a place that when the Romans took control, they actually stationed a Roman, like an army garrison right there in Nazareth. So there was an outpost, and many people looked at Nazareth, and Nazareth was a reminder of the place that was under somebody else's control. It had been invaded. Does it sound familiar to some in here? Truth be told, you probably have places in here that as you think about work, as you sit there in class, as you sit there at that job or at practice, you think, 
I have no control. I have no freedom here. Can anything good come from here? See, some in here, you know that Nazareth. Another interesting fact about Nazareth is it was also the place, there was this intertown rivalry because there were a bunch of small towns right in the same area. And so for some, Nazareth really represented, and we don't know what it was for Nathaniel, but it could have represented rivalry. It could have actually represented rivalry. That me and my people, we stick to our town, but oh, Nazareth, that's, that's those people. I mean, you get this. If you went to CSU, when you meet somebody from Boulder, what are you doing? Oh, you're from there. If you went to CU and you meet somebody from Fort Collins, you're going, oh, yeah, you're from there. Broncos fans, if you meet somebody from Oakland, oh, now we get it, okay. Or, or New England. Dakota Ridge, if you meet somebody from Chatfield, you're like, ugh. I mean, the Columbine people are like the greatest people you've ever met in your life. Oh, but Chatfield, I'm just kidding. I love, right here, I love you guys, all right. We get it. For me, honestly, I'm just going to be very transparent. It's really anybody over like five foot seven. <laughs> like when somebody wants to talk, I'm like, how tall are you? And they're like, five eight. I'm like, ooh. Like you don't even breathe enough oxygen at that altitude. And so <laughs> we have nothing in common. Uh, See, we get it. Maybe for you, Nazareth is the place of rivalry. It's, it reminds you of the people that are in that space in your life. For others, Nazareth was a place of stereotype because it was widely known that people from Nazareth were probably just full of, of bad morals and bad reputation. And we get this, too. Every time you want to drive down the street and look for something to eat, you and I have both done this, where you look into maybe a shopping plaza, and somebody says, well, why don't we eat there? And what do we do? We look at the shopping plaza and we go, ugh, it's kind of run down, doesn't look that good. And we think we already know. We already know how the food there is going to taste because of the look of everything. We stereotype it. And for some in here, you've just got that place in life where you think it's already figured out. I already know how it's going to turn out. I already know how the people are. Nazareth was also a place known for rejection. See, when Jesus began his ministry, you know where he went? He returned to the place he grew up, Nazareth. And the people who at one time were neighbors and they were friends, maybe even family, you know what they did? They rejected him. They rejected him. And I was reminded of this this last summer, how that must have felt. I've told some of you, I went to my 20-year reunion and my wife was saying, come on, you got to go. You just, you got to go to your 20-year reunion. It happens one time. But what ran through my mind? The three names throughout high school that just rejected me over and over and over. And what do we do in the places of rejection? We stay away. I don't want to go there. And so for some in here, maybe Nazareth is the place of rejection. That place in your life, that area in your life where you've experienced rejection. And nobody would blame you. It's a very human thing to want to avoid that area. And for still others, Nazareth was something else. It was just blah. It's just ordinary. Because, see, there was nothing real important about Nazareth. You look through the Old Testament, there's no mention of Nazareth. It's just an ordinary, unimportant town. 
in high school, uh, I had this art class, and we spent an entire week on this painting. Does anybody know what that is? It's Monet, water lilies, as I found out, because we spent a week on this, a week. And the art teacher, she put it up there. He's got like 250 paintings of water lilies. Well, she put one up there, and she was just like, it's, can you just, can you feel the life springing from it? And I just went, no, give me finger paints, and I can do this in the next few minutes. And I just, it was just, blah, I'm not seeing what you're seeing in it. And so for some, some others in here, maybe Nazareth is just that place in life that looks very, meh. It's ordinary. It's unimportant. There's nothing special about it. We all have a place or places in life where we ask the question, can anything good come from there? I mean, let alone Jesus, can anything good come from there? And so what is your Nazareth? As, as you're thinking about this and as we're reading this, what is that area? What is Nazareth for you? And the reason I ask that question is because what happens next is, is really the exact opposite thing that many of us do. We see Nazareth and we move away. But Philip issues really what's an invitation to Nathaniel. In verse, the second part of verse 46, he says this, come and see. Come and see. Would you just come and see the one who comes from Nazareth? Would you just come and see? Because Philip, whether he knew it or not, was tapping into something else that Nazareth was. Sure, maybe it's the place that you feel like you have no control or there's rivalry or stereotype or rejection or it's just ordinary. But the actual name Nazareth, do you know what it means? It means watchtower. It means watchtower. And Nazareth was known from time to time to be a place that it, it sat in a valley, but it sat a little bit up. And you could get a little bit of a vantage point of what was going on around Nazareth if you went there because of this little bit higher place in the valley that was there. And it's so interesting what Nazareth would eventually become because Nazareth would be the place where when God finally set the wheels turning and put the rubber to the road on sending Jesus to the earth, do you know where he started? He sent an angel, and not just any angel. It's an angel that you can read about throughout Scripture. And it's not exactly the most pleasant. It's not the most pleasant, but Gabriel. He sends Gabriel to Nazareth. This is a prominent angel that we read about in Scripture. He sends Gabriel to Nazareth to find a young girl, to find Mary. And he says, God has chosen you. God has chosen you to do what he is about to do, to deliver on the promises. He chose you. And, and Jesus is born, and then the family flees to Egypt, but when they come back, guess where they come back to? Nazareth. Nazareth. And Jesus grows up in the town of Nazareth. This place that's associated with all these other things that we avoid, well, that's the place. That's the watchtower. That's where there's a view of what God wants to do and what God begins to do. And the growing of Jesus happens in Nazareth. And what happened back then could happen right now. 
See, that Nazareth in your life, that may very well be the place where you have a watchtower and I have a watchtower to get a view on what God wants to do in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. But what happens is, is we forget. We forget that Jesus is present in the places that we think God just can't be. So we look at Nazareth and we think God can't be there. And what he's about to discover, what Nathaniel's about to discover is Jesus is very present in the places we think God can't possibly be. In fact, I come back to, I remember the first time we were driving down the road and I had done that stereotype thing. We were, we were looking in this, this plaza down at Kipling and Bowles for something to eat. Have you been to Thai Bistro? Oh, it's incredible. It's incredible. If you haven't, I'm not being paid by them, but you should go there. Um, but I discovered that place that I thought was just, uh, I already know. I already know what that meal's going to taste like. It surprised me. And then I got to my, my reunion this last summer, and all I could think about were the three people who rejected me over and over, and I ended up at a table with one of them for dinner. And as I got talking to them, you know what I discovered? That life has kicked them hard. And I was actually really happy for five seconds. It was worth the price of admission. <laughs> But you know what that led to was talking about something we never talked about in high school. We actually talked about faith, and we talked about life. And I discovered that that was my Nazareth, and I'm so glad I stepped into it. I, I, I came across a news article a couple years ago. That Monet painting, you know, the one that looks real ordinary. You know how much it sold at a New York auction four or five years ago? $43.7 million. Why did I not get out the finger paints that day? $43.7 million. Jesus is very present in the places that we think God just can't be. And as this conversation just steps forward, Jesus is beginning to open Nathaniel's eyes. And now he's about to open Nathaniel's eyes in a different way. Philip says, Come and see. Verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now, Jesus is referencing something here. We read a sentence, and when you look at it, Jesus is actually referencing the background of Nathanael here. He says, here is an Israelite. Now, when we re read the word Israelite, we would think Nathanael is from Israel. Yeah. And so we get that. But if you go back and you go back and you go back, Israel, before it was a place, you know what Israel was? It was a person. It was a person who before he ever had the name Israel had the name Jacob. And if you know anything about Jacob, Jacob had a certain kind of character. Jacob's character was full of deceit. And Jesus is pointing out Nathaniel. Nathaniel, he's highlighting, your heritage could be deceit. In fact, there's a lot of darkness back there in the past. But did you notice what Jesus said? He said, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jesus says, I, I know that's your heritage, but I'm not looking at that. I don't see the deceit. I don't see the darkness of the past. 
But a lot of times, I think why we can't see Jesus is not just because we avoid the Nazareths, but we stare. We stare at the deceit, at the darkness. We stare at the past, and we just sit there, and we stare at it, and we stare at it, and we stare at it. One time, I had somebody say to me, they said, Nathan, if you were standing in front of the cross as Jesus was dying on it, would you ever look up and say, that's not enough? And that hit me so hard. I went, no. And they said, so why are you staring? Why are you staring at your, at your past? Why are you staring at this history? Because Jesus isn't looking at that. He's not looking at that. See, we, we have places in life that we think God just can't be there, but we also have places in life that we think block us from God. And it's often in the past. We think, oh, I just can't, I can't come to you because I'm blocked. I'm blocked, and it's all I can see. And Nathaniel, taken back, verse 48, he says, how do you know me? How would you know me? How would you know that about me, Jesus? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And that phrase, under the fig tree, that is in Hebrew literature. And, and in those days, people were often encouraged during the day to take refuge under a fig tree. You know, it would become a place of meditation or prayer or even searching the scriptures. And Jesus knew something about Nathanael. He said, Nathanael, I know what your heritage is. I see, I see that there's a background there, but you know what I see more than that? I see that you wanted to draw close to me. I saw you under a fig tree. I saw your heart desiring a connection with God. I was there. I was present. And Nathanael is thinking, how could he possibly know this? Verse 49, then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You are the king. It was within four or five verses. Nathanael goes from, I don't want anything to do with him, to eyes open to who he really was. And he discovered this king is not who he thought See, Jesus is not just present in the places that we think God can't possibly be. Jesus is also present in the places that we think block him, block us from him. He's present in those places. There's an author, Timothy Jones. He talks about the way he got his toddler, his children, to no longer be scared of the dark and to go to bed at night. And it's real simple. He said, I sat with them. As they went to bed and as we shut the lights off, I just sat with them. Because when those lights go off, really the most comforting thing to a child is to know that somebody is with them. And it's exactly what Jesus showed Nathaniel in this moment. He said, listen, there's a, there's a past and there's a background of deceit, of darkness, and I'm going to sit with you. I choose to sit with you. When you're under the fig tree, I sit with you. As you carry this heritage or this background, I go with you. I'm with you constantly. It's these places that we think block us from God. He says, no, I'm right there with you. This author goes on. They said, actually, we got rid of the nightlight because once, once my child knew that I was sitting with them, then all that darkness that they were so scared of, it didn't matter anymore because I was with them. 
And now the conversation is gonna turn a corner and Jesus is gonna open Nathaniel's eyes a little bit, actually a lot more. Here is what happens. Verse 50. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and angels and the angels of God ascending and descending. Now, this was a reference. There's a lot of reference going on in this conversation. That phrase, angels ascending and descending on, that is a reference back to Jacob, the one that we talked about a little bit ago, that Nathaniel would have known about with the background he had. There is in in Genesis chapter 28, there's a moment where Jacob, he decides to lay down and he falls asleep. And he has this dream of these angels just ascending and descending a staircase or a ladder. And he wakes up and he realizes, oh my goodness, I just had a dream about this place, that this place is the actual connection with heaven. This is where I have a connection with God. And he actually made a little altar there to signify this is the place where we have a connection with God. And it was about that place. He called it Bethel. And it was Bethel was the connection with God. Now, does that sound familiar? Is it possible we all have places in our lives where we don't just have a Nazareth and we don't just have a past, but we have places in our lives where we think, well, there, right there is the connection with God. For some of us, it's a day of the week, Sunday. Okay, Sunday, we compartmentalize, right? Sunday is my day where I'll get a connection with God. Or a building. Church is the place where I'll get a connection with God. And Jesus is about to turn that whole notion upside down. Because when you read what he said entirely, something else comes out. You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on not just Bethel, but now the Son of Man. And he referred to himself. He said, you want to know where the connection to God is? You want to know where the connection to heaven is? It's anywhere that Jesus is. It's at the Son of Man. It's at the King. It's at the King. And now the connection with God is not a place. It's a person. And Jesus, Jesus has he, he continues to open Nathaniel's eyes and he continues to open our eyes. He says, look, you have that place where you think God can't possibly be there and I'm present there. And you have that place that you think blocks you from God and I'm present there. But you also have those places where you think that's my connection with God and he says, I'm present beyond there. I'm present beyond the places you've maybe limited God to. Do you remember, do you remember payphones. Oh man, like funniest scene I've seen in a long time. Got off a plane at the Chicago airport and there are sections of Chicago airport where it is just rows. I mean, they haven't taken them out. There's payphones. And this little kid with his mom in front of us was like, mom, what is that? What is that? And I thought, oh my goodness. I, I remember growing up until about age 17 and there, there was no other way to connect with somebody. You actually had to walk up to a wall, grab a phone that had a cord that kept you within five feet of the wall 
unless you're like my family. I think we finally got like a 40-foot phone cord. So I was, didn't want mom and dad to hear my conversation, so I was going down the stairs and, and around the corner. But you were still restricted to one area if you wanted to connect with somebody. And this is Jesus going, <laughs> the payphone's gone. It's not just Bethel anymore. It's anywhere I am is where there's a connection with your heavenly father. And in that moment, Nathaniel discovered that this king was not who he thought. And it's in this moment, as you read this, that we are reminded that this king is not who we thought. He's better than we thought. And he's better than we think. This king, King Jesus, he can turn any place into his palace. He can make any place, Nazareth, the past, you name it. You look around, no matter what, what you think of it when you look at it. He can make any place his palace. The places you think he can't possibly be. The places you think block him. The places that maybe we've limited him to. He says, I can make any place my palace. And I will make any place my palace, which means it's not about finding the right place. And it's not about being from the right place. It's about looking for the king wherever you're at. It's about looking for the king wherever you're at, which is real hard to do when you feel like life looks like this, like a stereogram. Because you stare at it and you stare at it and you stare at it. And if you still don't see it, okay, I, listen, I promise you, I'd tell you, it's a heart, okay? It's a heart. And, and I looked and looked. I spent like seven minutes on it this morning. I couldn't see it. But there are going to be times where you look at you all just stopped paying attention. Thank you for that, all right? <laughs> there are just going to be times life looks like this. And Jesus says, regardless, regardless of the filters you bring, I'm there. And regardless of what you think I'm limited to, I'm beyond that. I'm present beyond that. But I think the thing that gets me most about this entire passage is that Nathaniel almost missed it. But for verse 47, what does verse 47 say? When Jesus saw Nathaniel, what? Approach. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, and that's the question we'll end with will you approach? When life looks like a stereogram, when I can't see the picture, when I can't see the king, when it looks like chaos, will you approach anyway? Because if you'll approach, you know what this king does? He says, I'll take whatever place you're in, whatever place in your life, and I'll turn it into my palace. I'm going to invite up the worship team, and uh, I'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a king who, despite what we think we see, despite appearances, you are, a, you are a king who you're not who we thought, and that is a good thing. Because it turns out you're better. You're better than we ever thought. And so as we move toward Easter, and as we look through the book of John, open our eyes, Lord. Help us to see you in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of all the different places we're coming from, we're focused on. Remind us that you can make any place into your palace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.